Welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. We hope today's message encourages you and strengthens your walk with God. Enjoy the message. And we're going to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 through 7. It says, when it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops. Key thing to remember is some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. And then Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of his firstborn lamb from his flock. And the Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. And immediately God corrects him, which we know the Spirit will immediately if we're listening. He says, why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain, why do you look so dejected? He says, you will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Because sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. So from the very beginning, isn't isn't it surprising how closely that giving to God and obedience to God are very closely knitted? And how many steps away is giving in to sin if you choose not to do those things. It seems if, if a person doesn't want to give. Now, we're not talking money at this point. We're talking vegetables and sheep. It's anything of value in your life that you're willing to give to God. And it's almost a telltale sign that if you're not willing to give, whatever it is you have, your time, your love, your, your, your friends, your family, then it's also shows how much you're really willing to submit in obedience to God as well. See, we'll we'll read here in a little bit later that uh, a verse we all know that God loves a cheerful giver. And he will send resources to that cheerful giver so everyone around you will be blessed. And here early in Genesis, Cain and Abel, the story we always know, we've always heard, and honestly, the first time I read it, I was like, I don't really understand. We've always been taught, like, just give whatever you can to God. He'll be happy with that. And that's, that's the, one of the biggest lies I think we've been told over the years because God doesn't ask for just whatever you have. He does say, come as you are. But that's not just give what you have. Those two things are very different. And so when we look at this story and we come to understand that who God is and what he deserves is far more than we've thought maybe we've given to him in the past. So God is telling us in this passage that giving is a prerequisite for God moving in your life. If you do what is right, you will be accepted, he said. And if you're not willing to give, it's going to lead you not willing to obey. And if you're not willing to obey, God warns us in his own words Sin is lurking close by and will want to overcome you. So it seems like this fast, this first fruits thing kind of has some weight to it now. There's something about fasting that teaches to subdue our hunger, which is on face value. But it's also teaching us to say no to something your body wants. It seems important 
for us to subdue sin, otherwise it will take over us. We also subdue our flesh and be a master over it to allow God to move in our lives. So if you'll join me with prayer, we open our hearts and our minds to maybe some new concepts here. Father God, thank you so much for everything you've done for us so far, Lord. Lord, we ask that you reteach us and let us have a soft heart, Lord, to absorb anything, Lord, that you have for us today, to let us understand that you are worth so much more than what just we have, but you call for much higher things from us, and you have much higher goals for us. We thank you, Lord, for your good graces, and Lord, we thank you for your presence here today. In Jesus' name, amen. You all may be seated. Now, in this Bible story, we see that Abel gave not only his first, but his best. And we want to hold on to those two ideas because the message today is titled, Giving God Your Best. Now, let's find out why we give our first and our best. Why does it matter? Why doesn't God just take whatever we have? So, first fruits feast. Now, these are some things we might not talk about a lot, but we've got in the Old Testament, there are seven feasts that God instructed the Israelites to celebrate every year. In fact, first fruits is held the day after the weekly Sabbath, which is on a Sunday, directly after Passover. Now remember, back in Exodus, and we'll talk about this more in a second, when God is bringing the Israelites out of Egypt, he told Moses and Aaron, He goes, this month will be the beginning of your new year. It will be the first month of your many months. And so that first month of the year, which is like our January, they are already going to be celebrating Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and first fruits all within the first two weeks of the year. So it puts us right where we are today, almost two weeks into our new year, even though we know Passover as Easter or Resurrection Sunday. Now, the seven feasts of the Lord were to be celebrated without fail. Mandatory celebrations. Sometimes I have to tell my teenage kids, like, you will smile, you will be happy, you will enjoy yourself. There's nothing else. And at first they don't want to, of course. And so why were these things mandatory? There's a basic reason that I think we all come to understand is that God wanted his people of Israel to remember the good things that God has done for them. And that's exactly what God said. But there is deeper deeper levels. So if we go back to the Exodus, whenever the Israelites were taken out of Egypt and the first feast of the Passover was instructed by God. We'll turn to Exodus chapter 13. Skip around a little bit. We have 12 and then 14 and 15. God tells Moses and Aaron, he says, you must present all firstborn sons and firstborn male animals to the Lord, for they belong to him. Skip to 14. And in the future, your children will ask, what does all of this mean? And you will tell them, with the power of his mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. 
Pharaoh stubbornly, stubbornly refused to let us go. So the Lord killed all the firstborn males throughout the land of Egypt, both people and animals. That is why now we sacrifice all the firstborn males to the Lord, except the firstborn sons, humans. They are always bought back. So another term for buying back in other translations would be they are always redeemed. When you redeem something, you are bought back. So it's important to know that that sin comes with a price. And we had to be bought back in order to be in good standings with God. Now, by dedicating the firstborn to the Lord, prevented whenever the angel of death came past over, he had a job to do. He was going to come redeem all that belongs to the Lord, all the firstborn. But he would pass over those who had a sacrifice that the pure firstborn, uh, the pure lamb that was sacrificed to him, they would pass over because they saw the blood. The blood had redeemed that debt that they had. Therefore, the Israelites were free from that, that plague. So the question is, why the firstborn? Why, why does God talk about the firstborn? It's because of those who follow. So if you think of a king, you take out the king, and then you have control of the armies. You, you take control of an army general, and the, the, um, the rest of the soldiers will scatter and retreat. But when you come to the family, when you take out a parent, the kids will scatter. Because if they can take care of the head of the household, then the others don't have a chance because they're not taught in the way of God and know what they're really worth. But almost as important as a parent is an oldest sibling. Because at times when your kids don't want to listen to a parent, there's a stage where they, they're going to kick, they're not going to want to listen but there's an older sibling there that they'll get guidance from. Now, that can be a good thing or that can be a bad thing. But if you have the, first, the control of the firstborn, you have control of the family. And you can see that because God has always instructed for the lineage of the kings to go to the firstborn and the birthright. And you see that they're all, oh, yeah, oldest one gets it. Okay, that's fine. There's more weight to that. So I, I encourage you, if you're a parent or you're a firstborn of your siblings, there is a responsibility God has given you that maybe you fully haven't understood yet. And some of you have because some of you have raised your own siblings and helped bring them up and correct them. When mom and dad aren't around, you've stepped in and said, hey, cut that out. And you've stepped in that responsibility that God has given you. Now, in Romans eleven sixteen, 16, it says, And since Abraham and the other patriarchs were holy, their descendants will also be holy. Just as the entire batch of dough is holy because a portion is given as an offering is holy. For if the roots of the tree are holy, the branches will be also. So you have to start at the head of the family. You have to start at the root of the tree of the strength because if you can get to the root, the rest doesn't matter. If you can get to the, the oldest or the parent or the king or someone in charge, then you have control of everything else around you. Now, maybe you're from a divided family where you have everyone who has different thoughts and everybody's not on the same page yet. The key thing here is to give God your very best. And what can you give out of anything? Number one, you give yourself. You're able to say, okay, God, I can't control people around me, but I can give you me. 
I can do the best that I can. I can submit. I can learn. And God is faithful where he says, if you are counted as holy, your children will be as well. When Noah was counted as righteous and he was able to be saved, he said, you and your family. He didn't say how good the sons were. He didn't mention anything else. He just said, your family will be saved as well. Don't worry about that. When it came to Rahab on the walls of Jericho, he said, we're going to come back. You and anybody else in your family in this room, we're going to keep them safe from judgment. Because of you, your family has a covering. And that's something so hard we haven't seen yet. And you hold on to that. And you dedicate yourself. You dedicate your kids. And the rest of the family will see that. And God's anointing and holiness will follow. It's a promise. So we will do a quick recap because we've covered a couple of stories now. In Genesis, we talked about Abel's offering. That was both the best cut lamb that you could ever find that he had, first of his flock. You have Exodus with a Passover where they redeemed the firstborn with the blood of the lamb. That way the firstborn Israelites were also saved. And we talked about the feasts that were mandatory for celebrations. And the key thing is, is why? So I saw a video not too long ago, and it, it covered it pretty well. And the, the short version of this is everyone always asks, why isn't God, okay, this world is crazy. Why doesn't this God just come and just sort all this out for us, tell us what's right, tell us what's wrong, that way we can go from there. And the short answer we did, we think about is, well, he already did that once. But why doesn't he do it again and again? So it says if, if, you were, if, if God were to come reveal himself to humanity, how, how would he do it? So number one, he, he would be able to, Maybe contact everybody personally. Maybe you come of age one day, boom, you have a vision. God's, God tells you who he is. He announces himself to him. Everybody has their own personal experience millions and billions of times. Or you could have the ability to be able to talk to everybody at once. Now, we know God did that as well. He tried to talk to all the Israelites in his full, not even his full glory, just the booming of his voice terrified them, and they ran for the hills and they had wanted nothing to do with it. They told Moses, Moses, let him, you go talk to him. You go find out what he wants and tell us because we don't want any part of that. So Moses had to go up to the mountain away from them to hear from God. So God could also come down and be one of us. And he could show us. But if you just show up and a guy starts telling you things out of nowhere, you're not likely to really believe him. But if you were to announce you were coming thousands of years before your arrival, when you actually arrived, it would be undeniable that it was the same God who said he was on his way and the Messiah that he would send. So the feast and the festivals were an announcement that Jesus was on the way. See, we're to celebrate Jesus was coming before they knew Jesus was coming. Because the first fruits, the, the, the Passover, all these feasts all talked about how good God was who freed them, who set them apart, who gave them a nation, who wanted to give them the best of the land, to forgive them for their sins and come up with a system where they could wash away their guilt and shame and just come back to God. Now, it looked different back then, but it was all pointing to Jesus' arrival. 
everything in the Old Testament pointed to Jesus. Why? Because God was announcing his arrival. He was letting us know the rescue plan that was already in place. It's almost like a dispatch coming on and saying, don't worry, calm down, son, we're on the way. There's something coming. Just hold on. Listen to my voice. Listen to what's going on around you, and we've sent help, and it's coming soon. He already had things in motion, and he saw that it would come to pass, and that God, because of his love, planned to redeem us. And Haley said it perfect earlier. He didn't have to love us. He didn't have to allow us access in. He wanted to. He could have squashed us from the very beginning. Multiple times he continued to set paths to be able to redeem us, knowing that one day it would come to a completeness. Now, Pastor Caleb talked about on Sunday about changing your appetites. And he talked about the two birds in Noah's story. Now, there's some, a few parallels that I like to bring there because sometimes we can fast, we can pray, and we feel like God is, is not answering us in that moment. Or like, well, all these people are feeling supercharged, they're doing all these things, and I'm, I'm hurting. I'm not able to, to eat something, you know, it's bothering me. Or, hey, I'm fasting, but things are getting worse around me. Like, what am I missing here? And a key thing to realize is everything doesn't go exactly to the way you planned it. Because number one, we know we've heard it a hundred times, but we live in a fallen world where everyone has their own version of what they want to do. And so that can affect all of us. Now, we're not the only ones that felt this way. So I want to bring some attention to, to Noah when he released the birds and then to the disciples when they had to release Jesus for the first time. Because it doesn't say why Noah picked a raven. He just said he released a raven. My first thought goes to, well, that was unclean. and It wasn't food. He was going to release. He only had a certain amount of animals on the ark. He only had seven pairs of, of certain clean birds, only two of every animal. So if he let go of a clean one, that was maybe he didn't want to quite do that. Maybe he let go of something else. But when he did relieve the dove, the dove had a little more value to it. It was a clean animal. It could have been used for sacrifice. It could have been used for food. But he released it. Now, the, the key part of this, he didn't know where the dove was going. He didn't know if it was going to be okay. He didn't know if it was a waste. He just released it to see if it would come back. Now, think about the disciples. Now, we know that Pastor Kiv talked about when the baptism of Jesus happened, that the Holy Spirit fell on him like a dove. And we know that Jesus is God. The Holy Spirit is God, and he works the same way. We just have to get in that river and see which way God is going. So we look at the disciples. When they first arrested Jesus, and he was captured, and he was crucified, and he was buried it was like releasing that dove, not knowing what was going to happen. They thought they were about to be the judgment of all the nations. Jesus said that the 12 of you will judge everybody else. So they thought that something big was happening. But they had to realize something's not happening, and we don't know what to do. We feel scared. We feel alone. We feel like God is not doing what he said he was going to do. And all they could do was pray, and they hid because they didn't know what to expect next. Now, the next time the dove was released, he came back with an olive branch. Jesus did return to them with a glorified body. He brought them a, a peace and a reassurance 
that, hey, you might not have thought things were going well, but I'm going to reveal all things to you now. Because as soon as Noah saw that olive branch, he said, okay, there's still living things out there. There is hope. That is reassurance that something is promised out there for us. And Jesus came back. It was kind of hard to believe, but they, they started to realize that, okay, Jesus said, hey, this is my glorified body now. There is something happening. There is something ready for you in the works. You just didn't know it just quite yet. And then lastly, the dove was released, and it did not return because it was the promise to know that he had found what it was created to do. It found peace. It found a living source and did not come back to us. And in the same way, the disciples were able to see Jesus, and he ascended into heaven, releasing him for the last time. Now, we know that he, in God's good grace, he sent the Holy Spirit to make us whole and be able to follow Jesus. But in that moment, we never, like, no, no one never knew if that dove was coming back. You know, there, he was one dove short now of his count he was told to get. And then we have Jesus ascending to heaven, and they thought he could come back tomorrow. Like, okay, he's, they, they never would have thought that it would have been so many years later. They expected something that didn't happen because we like to think what God is doing, but in the moment we don't see it. But we can be reassured that God is always working. He's always moving for our good, and he's proven himself to be faithful even during the times when you don't know what's going on. Philippians 4, 11 through 13, another popular scripture that we've heard but at the same time, we might have seen it in a different light. It goes like this. <clears throat> Not that I have ever been in need, but I have learned how to be, in, be content with whatever I have. I know how to live with almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it be a full stomach or an empty one, having plenty or having little, for I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. Now, we take that verse, I can do everything through Christ and strengthens me, and you're Superman, you're going to get things done, and then you can you feel like, oh, I can't do everything. What, what, I thought God promised that to me. Reading the scripture before and after always helps out a lot. When you feel like maybe that wasn't right, let's read the whole page to see. Because even when you have everything or have nothing, the Apostle Paul learned to be able to, to listen and learn to be able to live because he knew that he was good with Christ, that he was making all things new, that God would come full circle to create everything that needed to happen on earth when it was time, and then God will make all things right in the end. We can also look at two other people in the Bible where Abraham was looking for a city, and not to give too much of the story, but Abraham was told that God was going to give him a city, and he was going to have all these descendants, and he had one son who had a couple of sons, and he got to see a few generations. But Abraham never built a house and was stable. He always lived in a tent and moved around because he was always looking for that city that God had promised him. And then we go to Moses, and Moses was the friend of God, and this this has always touched me. Pastor Caleb uh, shared this with me years ago, and it hit me hard. Like, I had to start watering up when I, when I heard this because it just unveiled another level to God and my trust in him. Because Moses was a friend of God. Everything relied on Moses to make things right. And Moses wanted two things. 
He wanted to go to the promised land, and he wanted to see the face of God. And as we read the story, we know that neither one of them happened. In fact, God told him, no, you can't go to the promised land. Everyone else is going without you, but you're not going. And he goes, no, you can't see my face, but you can see where I've been. So that's a big disappointment for the friend of God. Like, God, why, why, do, why do you do these things to me? Why can't I, why can't I have more of you? And then we, we, we fast forward through time, thousands of years, where Jesus is on the mountain with three of his disciples, and the transfiguration happens. And Peter sees something, and he sees that Elijah the prophet and Moses were there on the mountain with Jesus, and they were talking about his departure. And in that moment, Moses was brought back to see something he never thought he would see. He was standing on the mountain in the promised land that God had always promised him. And he was looking directly at the face of God, lit up with glory. Everything he wanted was fulfilled. God will make all things right as he did for Moses. He will do for you. He will make. You might not be exactly when you think it's going to happen. It might not happen the way it's going to. You don't think it's going to happen. But God is working. He is faithful. And he promises to make all things right for you. I would say we give God a praise for that. Thank you, God, for always being faithful. And I said all of this. For, for one major point, I don't want to have a bunch of points. I just wanted to add to the, 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 the message title and with, with the conclusion of being give God your best because he gave you his best. So we backtrack to the first fruits when it's foreshadowing Jesus' resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15.20 says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And another translation is the first of a great harvest of those who have died. Now, when you're looking at the feast, being real general, because there's a lot of detail in all of these feasts. Whenever he had first fruits was the day after Passover, which was the resurrection of Jesus. Their first fruits offering was barley. There was barley and there was wheat. Barley matured faster than the wheat. So the barley was what they offered on that first fruits day. They would take a portion of the barley, the first ones that was ripe, and they would wave it to God as an offering in hope that the rest of the harvest would be blessed. Not only were they hoping it would be blessed, but they also were thanking God because all of this was possible through him in the first place. And then after that, they would have the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And they had to get all leaven and yeast, everything out of there. So they ate flat bread for another week after that. And they had, they had to purge it out of their house. They had to get rid of it. All completely gone. So if we give God our best, he'll be able to bless the rest. Now, when we bless the rest, it's not just the rest of your time or the rest of what you have. Because when they were told to harvest the barley, they were also told, don't worry about the outskirts of the seeds on the, out, on the outer world. Don't, don't harvest that. You weren't planning on that anyway. Anything you cut, leave to the ground so that people around could also harvest and the poor would have something to eat. 
So not only would your fields bless you and what you were trying to do, but it would bless others around you that weren't able to uh, have their own fields. And then after the harvest, 50 days after the first fruits, they would have the wheat harvest would be ready. Now, if we know on our resurrection schedule here, 50 days, which where the Pentecost comes from, is going to be the wheat offering harvest, where it was like the second part, part two of first fruits, because now the wheat was ready. And now there's something different about this festival, because this festival, they were told to bring two loaves of bread that had mixed grains and it had yeast in it. It was no longer leavened. And the cool thing about this is that not only was it mixed grains, which they typically didn't do, and actually having yeast, because God was always commanding them to get rid of yeast and leaven whatsoever, but this time he was told to put yeast in it. But really they didn't have any yeast because everything was the month before was thrown out. So they would take the barley and they would let it rot from the first harvest, the, the, the portion, the sample that they had from the big harvest coming. They would let it rot, create the yeast, and use that to make the bread for the second harvest. So when we look at Jesus, when he rose from the dead, the resurrection of first fruit, he was a wave offering unto God. He was the barley that was waved to show them, hey, this is a small thing of what's going to happen. This resurrection, this spiritual body resurrection is the first of a mini harvest that is to come. And so whenever then, because of what Jesus did, he came back and he spent 40 days with him. He left and they left, they waited 10 more days for Pentecost. And when Pentecost happened, God sent them the Holy Spirit. God sent them the leaven, the yeast, the growing agent that would cause this kingdom to grow. God sent it to them just like the barley sent the yeast to have the, the loaves grow for the, the wheat. At the same time, Jesus was able to send the Holy Spirit to us to make this grow on what they were doing here on Pentecost. Now, with my final scriptures, worship team coming up, the whole reason for God wanting to bless you is to bring glory to himself, to show everybody else of how good he is. And when you read the scriptures, you start to understand how much he put into our, our plan of salvation. How much planning he did, everything like, why did God ask for this? Why did God, you know, have someone put to death because of this? All these things through the Old Testament, it was because anything other than the plan of salvation was not good enough. Salvation was to come through Jesus. He was sending a rescue plan to us because he was giving us his very best by giving himself on the cross for taking that death that we deserved, that penalty, that to be redeemed, he redeemed us way back thousands of years ago when the accidents happened. It was a foreshadow of what was to come. And every harvest, every celebration they had was not just, just celebrating what God had done for them then. That was a small part. But what they were doing is they were celebrating what was to come. And so we sit here now, and sometimes we might think, oh, yeah, this is good. You know, I'm you know, on a diet. I'm going to lose weight during this time. But when we come down and we look at it, and we see how much God has done, the kingdom that was promised, that the Old Testament waited thousands of years for us to have this moment right now, for to give God our very best, 
with the power of the Holy Spirit working in us that nobody else was able to accomplish before then. So I encourage you to take hold of what God has given us, the freedom that Jesus has given us, the power through the Holy Spirit, and to go out and be a blessing to others, be a blessing to your family. Have that anointing flow from you to everyone in your household, your neighborhood, because God does, is, fan, is fantastically happy that you came to Jesus. But it doesn't stop there because he didn't just want to change you. He wanted to change the entire city. He wanted to change the entire world. And it starts with us. You rise to your feet one last time as I read this last scripture, to reflect on what God has done for us and give us a chance to see what God has given us, what resources you have, whatever your time, your love, your talents that you have been given. And are we giving God our very best? Are we giving everything we can to show the kingdom of God everywhere we go? 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 9. It says, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You reap what you sow. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in a response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. The good news of Christ. And they will pray for you with deep affection. Those who you bless. Not only will they thank God, but they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace that God has given you. So right now, on chapter on verse 15, we can raise our hands and we can thank God for this gift. Too wonderful for words. Father God, thank you so much for everything you've given us. Let it be a, a talent, a skill, a relationship. Let it, if it's monetary value, if it's resources, if it's a family, Lord, manpower, whatever you've given us, Lord, let us be able to give back to you in this season. Lord, because if we give you the first and the very best of our year, that God, you will meet us and you will you bless the rest of our year, not just for us to be happy and have a good year, Lord, but that others might see the kingdom and the love that you have through our, through our, our sowing and reaping, God, that you've instructed us to do. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to give, that not only did you want to save us and you wanted us to have access, but you let us be a, an investor in the kingdom as well, that we can also reap the benefits and know that Christ is in control of it all and makes all things new. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. For more information about who we are, visit RiversideChurchT.
tx.com.